here, especially in the last couple days. You see, the other day, <clears throat> you know, my wife asked me if, uh, if I wanted to go to Bass Pro Shop. And so she asked me that, and me filled with great joy, of course, I jumped on the uh, opportunity, and off we go. We, we go to Bass Pro Shop, and, and we're in Bass Pro Shop, and uh, at one point, it hit me. And you guys know what I'm talking about. Why did she ask me that so... Willingly, like, let's go to Bass Pro Shop. You know, I'm not the sharpest tool in the shed, so it took me obviously a while. I was just overwhelmed with joy. <laughs> so I thought, let's go. But while in there, it, it struck me. Like, why did, why did she say? So I asked her, so why are, wait a minute, why are we here? Oh, I just thought, you know, we could come. You said you wanted to go, and so I asked. And so, guys, pray for me. Because something I think may be coming, a request, or I don't know what it is. <laughs> but I had a great time at Bass Pro Shop there. Um, yeah, I know, right? Before all these witnesses. What, what's going on? Oh. <laughs> uh. Before we get into the message, uh, we do have a few announcements. Number one, uh, num the, the third class for the Foundations class uh, is happening today after service, 11 a.m. in the youth suite. And so for those of you who are going through uh, the Foundations class, make sure you show up there today, again today at 11 a.m. Also, paintball's coming up. So normally we do this every year. Last year uh, we missed it just because they weren't open. And so um, sign up today. It's happening Saturday, August 14th at 10 a.m. Uh, so the, the cost is $20 per person, and it's just a wonderful time. It's going to happen at Thousand Pines uh, Retreat Center. Uh, now, how many of you have gone to paintball? All right, quite a few. Now, we have the Capture the Flag game. We have elimination, we have all of that, but the final portion of the day is a part that's really, I think, my favorite, and that's the Civil War. Have you guys been through that? No? Well, it's when you line up. What, what, how far away from each other? About 10 feet? No, I'm just kidding. It's uh, maybe about 30 feet, 40 feet. You guys remember? Was it 30 feet? I don't know. Close enough, though. And so you line up shoulder to shoulder, uh, one team against the other, and uh, last man standing wins. <laughs> so you, you exhaust the rest of your ammo <laughs> on one another. And, uh, you know, by this, all people will know that you are my disciples by the love that you have for one another. <laughs> and this is how we express our love, by painting each other with paintball. So anyway, it's, it's a lot of fun. I encourage um, whoever would like to go and is able to sign up uh, and uh, just make sure that you understand the, the, for those who are going to Hands and Feet, it is the same day. So go to Hands and Feet early. And then uh, I believe for some people uh, that are going to Hands and Feet, um, you can still make it up the hill and uh, participate in, in, uh, 
paintballing. So anyway, so that's what we have going on. This morning we are in Romans chapter 10. And so please turn in your Bibles with me to Romans chapter 10. The title of the message is, With Outstretched Hands, God Offers Peace. With Outstretched Hands, God Offers Peace. Now, this can be illustrated by Jesus on the cross, and yet it is the very thing that the Lord has done through the years. Looking back at the Old Testament, this is true as we know from the last verse in this chapter how it is that God has been long-suffering and he's offered peace with an outstretched hand to his people. And yet we know that not everyone has believed. There are those who are hard-hearted, those who are stiff-necked. There are those who come back with a bad report. There are only few that are really faithful. And so, nonetheless, God loves us with an everlasting love. He offers his peace. He doesn't impose himself upon us. And so with an outstretched hand, God offers peace. Let's read Romans chapter 10 and verse 1. Brothers, my heart's desire and prayer to God for them is that they may be saved. For I bear them witness that they have a zeal for God, but not according to knowledge. For being ignorant of the righteousness of God and seeking to establish their own, they did not submit to God's righteousness, for Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone who believes. Heavenly Father, we thank you, Lord, that in Christ, it is the end of the law as it pertains to righteousness. Lord, he is the fulfillment. In him, Lord, if we believe in him, Lord, we will know your righteousness. It's not a self-righteousness, for there is no such thing. For none is righteous, no, not one. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And we are thankful that you have made a way. That the work not only was initiated by you, but it was followed through with and completed by you. For us... We believe. We express our faith that Jesus is the Son of God, that He is the unblemished Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world to all who believe in Him. And so, Father, we are truly thankful for that. We are grateful. And we come this morning, and I ask, Lord, that you would make that real in our own hearts. Lord, that we, if any of us, are overwhelmed with trying to be good in order to earn righteousness or salvation, Lord, that we would understand this morning that it is only by grace through faith in Jesus Christ, not by works. Otherwise, we would boast about that. May we be encouraged, stirred up to good works. May we even perhaps respond in a greater way to the love that you have demonstrated to us in Jesus Christ by the manner in which we conduct ourselves, by the manner in which we live our lives, 
the manner in which we respond to difficult circumstances that we are faced with, burdens that perhaps we're carrying will be laid before you, knowing that you desire to carry them for us, for you care for us. Lord, that we may fix our eyes on you, trust in you, cling to you, and rest in the hope that we have in Jesus Christ. And so, Father, we commit this morning into your hands, Lord. Speak to us, we ask, in Jesus' name. Amen. So Paul begins this chapter with a prayer for the salvation of his own people, the Jews, the Israelites. We know from the previous chapter that Paul was filled with great sorrow and unceasing anguish in his heart because although the the Jews were God's chosen people through whom God chose to show his glory, make covenants with, give the law to, detail how to worship him and make promises to and bless the nations through. They had, even though all of that was true, they had not believed, they had not all believed that Jesus was the Savior, the Messiah, the Christ. And so he was filled with sorrow. He was filled with unceasing anguish in his heart. It compelled him to even communicate, to even declare and proclaim that if it be possible for him to lay down his life for the sake of his fellow Jews, he would do it gladly. And yet he knew that there was only one that was enough to atone for the sins of all, including Gentiles. Paul had explained God's sovereignty in the previous chapter, and we went over that in full last week regarding his manner of selection and choosing, not because of merit or order of the flesh, genealogy, but according to his choosing and according to promise that all may come to know that salvation comes through promise and not the flesh. It was made abundantly clear. It was because of his choosing. It wasn't because of what family you belonged to, what tribe you came from. It came through the promise of God, not through the flesh. And Paul concluded in chapter 9 by asking whether the Jews had failed in trying to attain righteousness by their own works. Perhaps it was they failed. Did they fail? Did they fail to understand by trying to attain righteousness by their works instead of by faith? And the answer was a resounding yes. They got it wrong. And Jesus ended by saying that Jesus, the Messiah, to them was a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. But Paul ends that chapter by finishing his, with a quote of Isaiah 28, 16. And whoever believes in him will not be put to shame. You know, we sung we declared, we confessed that in Christ we will not be put to shame. We, we sung that, part of the, one of the songs that we sung. In Christ there is no shame. We will not be put to shame. It is biblical. It is true. It is God's word. We can stand on that promise. 
And then Paul begins this chapter with a prayer, simply a continuation of chapter 9. It just all goes seamlessly into chapter 10. He begins this chapter with a prayer for the salvation of his own people because he again points out that they have sought to establish a right relationship with God in the wrong way. It's good for us to be reminded of this. It's good for us to know. Perhaps if we, what God has started in the spirit, in our own hearts, in in our own lives, uh, having the hope of eternity by God's grace through faith in Jesus Christ, calling Jesus Lord and God by the spirit, sometimes we fall back into that place to where we're trying to perfect ourselves through the flesh by a set of do's and don'ts. Even thinking that perhaps we can earn God's merit. There are those who believe that we can earn salvation through works. And this is what they got wrong. This is what many people get wrong. As if it's some scale that we're looking at. And the more good we do, the more the balance tips towards us in favor of heaven and salvation that's simply not true. It was, it was one person, one thing, one event that took place and was done for us that tipped the scales in our favor to all those who believe. It was the crucifixion of Jesus Christ on the cross. That is all. How about zeal? As we read there, we need to understand that the Apostle Paul, oh, he can identify with zeal, passion, commitment, devotion. But all of that applied in the wrong direction is wrong. All the zeal in the world will not make one right with God if it is without understanding. I am passionate about what I believe. I believe what I believe, and yet if that belief is in that which is false, it is false, no matter how passionate you are. Paul knew this very well. That is what he was communicating, what he was expressing, what he would go and proclaim. He would proclaim God's grace through Jesus Christ. Not any works, not any observance of the law. He would do that day in and day out. Many times starting as he went into the cities in the synagogues. Explaining to his, his fellow Jews the gospel. One can express great energy and enthusiasm in doing certain things like coming to church. Giving food and clothing to the poor. You can stop cussing, stop drinking, start serving, make every effort to follow the word of God. But this enthusiastic work, if it is trusted to be the very thing that makes one right before God, and therefore attain salvation, then that person is wrong. That person is passionate and zealous, but they remain unsaved. 
Romans 3.10 says, none is righteous, no, not one. And Romans 3.23 says, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Also in Colossians 2, and this is really important because this has to do with salvation. When the Apostle Paul laid this out, he was, he was making reference to salvation. That is what he was referring to. Not everyday living, but, but specifically for and to address the subject of salvation. Because in Colossians chapter 2, verse 16, it says, Therefore, let no one pass judgment on you in question of food and drink, or with regard to a festival or a new moon or a Sabbath. These are a shadow of the things to come, but the substance belongs to Christ. Let no one disqualify you, insisting on asceticism and worship of angels, going on in detail about visions, puffed up without reason by his sensuous mind, and not holding fast to the head, from whom the whole body, nourished and knit together through its joints and ligaments, grows with a growth that is from God. If with Christ you died to the elemental spirits of the world, why, as if you were still alive in the world, do you submit to regulations? Do not handle, do not taste, do not touch, referring to things that all perish as they are used, according to human precepts and teachings. These have indeed an appearance of wisdom in promoting self-made religion and asceticism and severity to the body, but they are of no value in stopping the indulgence of the flesh. It's in regards to salvation. The Apostle Paul, you see, is communicating consistently what he's telling the Christians in Rome on this day, in this portion of the letter that he sent to them. You cannot attain salvation through the observance of works, certain religious acts, rituals. You can't do it. And those who teach such things, well... They are false teachers. They are not to be listened to. They are to be called out, shunned. Because the Bible clearly speaks of God's grace. If you think that the observance of certain rituals and regulations will earn you a right standing before God, then you are wrong. We are wrong when we think that way. What is it when we find ourselves in that place to where we are burdened with works? It's a sin because we're opposing the very word of God. Well, 1 John 1, 9 says, If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Which means even that can be confessed and repented of. Lord, forgive me. I confess that I've been thinking that perhaps my good works will... Earn me a good standing before you, but it's not. It's all you. It's all you. In that, we rejoice. The question is, is that a problem? Or aren't those things good? I thought we were supposed to be obedient to God's word, and the answer is yes. But it is not a means to salvation. We must simply submit to God's righteousness. You know, just because you know now doesn't mean that you're automatically right with God. The moment that you come to the knowledge of this doesn't mean that you're automatically saved. You have the knowledge, 
But it's what you do with what you know is what is important. The question is, have you submitted? Have you yielded? Have you subjected yourself to God's righteousness? This is what the Apostle Paul in these first few verses is explaining to those believers in Rome. Have you subjected yourself to God's righteousness? Because Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone who believes. This is all great news. This is something that should bring great joy to everyone. It has nothing to do with me. It has nothing to do with my adherence to the law in order to have a right relationship with the Lord. That in Christ has come to an end. But not in the sense that it serves as a standard upon which we worship God and demonstrate our love for him. Because Jesus said, if you love me, you will obey my commandments. Our obedience to God's word then becomes the promises of God upon which we stand and live with humble confidence toward the one who saved us by grace through faith in Jesus Christ our Lord. And so even today, with outstretched hand, hands, God offers peace. It's his righteousness that he offers, his finished work through the cross. And the question for us, even daily, is do you believe? Paul had a desire for all the Jews to come to salvation. God even more so. If Paul had a desire... God even more so wishes that none should perish, but that all would reach repentance. That all would know salvation by grace through faith in Jesus Christ. This was his, his offering of peace. And so let us hear closely as we continue. Three portions um, that we're going to look at in three points. Salvation is for all, number one. Faith comes through hearing, number two. And thirdly, the message has been heard. Let's first take a look at verses 5 through 13, in which the Apostle Paul communicates, proclaims, declares, and God speaks and tells us that salvation is for all. Verse 5 says, For Moses writes about the righteousness that is based on the law, that the person who does the commandments shall live by them. But the righteousness based on faith says, Do not say in your heart who will ascend into heaven, that is to bring Christ down, or who will descend into the abyss, that is, to bring Christ up from the dead. But what does it say? The word is near you, in your mouth and in your heart. That is, the word of faith that we proclaim. Because if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes and is justified, and with the mouth one confesses and is saved. For the scripture says, everyone who believes in him will not be put to shame. For there is no distinction between Jew and Greek, for the same Lord is Lord of all, bestowing his riches on all who call on him. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Now, as we begin this portion, Paul appeals to Moses. Moses, through Moses, the law came to Moses, the law was presented And so, therefore, Paul appeals to Moses 
to make the point that according to God, if a man does what the law commands in order to be made right with God, then that man must live by the law perfectly, without error. And Paul gives two choices. Either you do this, you give yourself to the law, you believe that a man could be made righteous by the observance of the law, you live by it. So you have one choice, live by it, but you've you got to live perfectly by it. Or you can know God's righteousness by simply surrendering to his righteousness. It's his righteousness, not your righteousness. Paul goes on to quote Moses in order to help them understand that the word of God itself was not difficult for them. It's interesting because he made it quite clear. It's not difficult for you. It's not really difficult for us. You know what gets in the way is a hard heart. Uh, it's... Um, stubbornness, it's, it's pride, it's still going back to a desire to pull ourselves up by our own bootstraps, to find salvation on our own. It goes back to that. We refuse to yield, to submit, to subject ourselves to the righteousness of God. That's what it goes back to time and time again, our failure to do that very thing, to submit, to yield to be humble. He says it's not difficult. He was telling them it came to them as, as they did not have to climb up to heaven to get it or swim to the deepest depths of the sea to find it. It could be found in their hearts and they could confess it with their lips. It is God's word believed in faith. You know, he was telling them you, you don't have to go to God's throne in request for him to come down. How many false faiths? They teach that perhaps you can get to a, a level to where there's a bliss, there's nirvana. You, you have attained. You, you are the one that has to work to get to that place. There are many false faiths. There are those who teach that. It's a false teaching. So you don't have to do that. Oh, and by the way, our God is not dead, but some think that perhaps you, you need to go down to the abyss, down into the grave, and have that God resurrected to where you would request him even from the abyss. And what Paul is saying, by the mouth of Moses, by the mouth of God, you don't have to do that. God's already done it. He came down to us. He has gone down to the grave. But he is also resurrected by the power of God. It's already been done. But it's not hard. It's not difficult. God didn't make it difficult for us. He made it incredibly simple. Some Jews thought that if enough people completely obeyed the law, 
And perhaps at that moment, God would send them a Savior. And Paul was telling them that God in his grace already sent Christ into the world and it had nothing to do with their works. Nothing at all. In John chapter 1, we see how it is that the Apostle John wrote this. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. And in verse 14, he continues and says, And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory, glory as the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. So how is a person made right with God? By believing in the person and finished work of Jesus Christ on the cross. To confess. Confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord. Confessing is agreeing with. God testified, this is my son in whom I am well pleased. This is the Messiah. This is the Christ. This is the anointed one, the Savior of the world. The Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Jesus himself said that he was God. He came to do the work in the will of his Father. And he went to the cross and died on your behalf and mine and was resurrected after three days. We are simply agreeing that he is who God said he was and who he said he was. We are agreeing. We are agreeing that he died on the cross for our sins. We are agreeing that after three days he rose from the grave. In Acts chapter 8, Verse 29 says this, and this is the, the account of uh, Philip when he um, spoke to the Ethiopian eunuch on the road to from Jerusalem to Gaza. And in verse 29, beginning there, it says, And the Spirit said to Philip, Go over and join this chariot. So Philip ran to him and heard him reading Isaiah the prophet and asked, Do you understand what you are reading? And he said, How can I unless someone guides me? And he invited Philip to come up and sit with him. Now the passage of the scripture that he was reading was this. Like a sheep he was led to the slaughter, and like a lamb before its shear is silent, so he opens not his mouth. In his humiliation justice was denied him. Who can describe his generation for his life is taken away from the earth. And the eunuch said to Philip, About whom I ask you, does the prophet say this about himself or about someone else? Then Philip opened his mouth, and beginning with this scripture, he told him the good news about Jesus. And as they were going along the road, they came to some water, and the eunuch said, See, here's water, what prevents me from being baptized. And he commanded the chariot to stop, and they both went down into the water, Philip and the eunuch, and he baptized him. It's a story of the beautiful feet that brought the gospel to an Ethiopian eunuch 
who is led to an understanding of the grace of God through Jesus Christ and responded to that and by faith believed that Jesus is indeed the Son of God who died for his sins. He believed and to him that faith was accounted to him as righteousness through the finished work of Jesus Christ. It was in that moment that the Ethiopian eunuch asked, what prevents me from being baptized? The only thing that prevents us from being baptized is is believing, having faith, of identifying with the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Well, verses 9 and 10, as we go back to Romans, go together, meaning we are justified or made right with God by our faith in his finished work. And as I said earlier, it's not enough to just simply know, to have knowledge, a head knowledge. We must genuinely believe in our hearts that God raised Jesus from the grave after having been crucified for your sins. And what Paul says here is it's not to believe and then hold that privately in your heart and not declare it or proclaim it or confess it verbally. But what the Apostle Paul is saying is, no, you confess it. You speak it. You communicate that you believe. C.H. Spurgeon He said, quote, the faith that saves is not believing certain truths, nor even believing that Jesus is a Savior. But it is resting on him, depending on him, lying with all your weight on Christ as the foundation of your hope. Believe that he can save you. Believe that he will save you. At any rate, leave the whole matter of your salvation with him in unquestioning confidence. Depend on him without fear as to your present and eternal salvation. This is the faith which saves the soul. This is what Paul was saying. Confess, believe, receive it as your own. Express that faith. Confess it. He goes on after verses 9 and 10, but if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes and is justified, and with the mouth one confesses and is saved. For the scripture says, everyone who believes in him will not be put to shame. You know, he had, he had quoted the law. He had quoted Moses. He had made reference earlier to other Old Testament verses. And here he declares, he says, the scripture says, everyone who believes in him will not be put to shame. Therefore, everyone is referring to the nations of the world, every person. There is therefore regarding salvation no distinction between Jew and Greek. No distinction whatsoever. God is with open hands offering peace to all who believe in Jesus Christ. Everyone who calls on him. He says, everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. It's not conditional if you do certain things. If you 
observe certain rituals or religious practices. Just believing on the finished work of Jesus Christ. You know, if you just read the previous chapter, this is why it's critical for us to not just look at one verse or even look at one chapter within one letter. We need to look at the the whole letter in context. That's what gives it context. Because if we look at chapter 9 by itself, you, you could really walk away and you didn't read chapter 10. Really, it's all God's sovereign choice. That, that's it. But then the way it ends is what brings it all together. We understand his, his choices and why it is that he made the choices that he made. They're beyond us, our thinking, our ways. And then you go on to read this chapter, Romans 10, and know that God's offer of peace is just that, an offer, a finished work, known by exercising our faith in the finished work of Jesus Christ on the cross and his resurrection from the grave. It's an offering. Uh, it's a gift. It's God's grace. Paul is making it abundantly clear that everyone... Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. I mean, just think about who he's writing to. It's uh, the believers in Rome. Gentile and Jews alike. The question that we need to ask ourselves is, have we called on the name of the Lord? That, I can't assume, I can't take it for granted that each and every person here has genuinely, sincerely called on the name of the Lord, confessed, proclaimed, declared, yielded to, subjected themselves to the righteousness of God. And so, this speaks to you. Because the word tells us, if you confess with with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Salvation is for all, and faith comes through hearing. Verse 14, as we continue, says, How then will they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in him of whom they have never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless they are sent? As it is written, How beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. But they have not all obeyed the gospel. For Isaiah says, Lord, who has believed what he has heard from us? So faith comes from hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. You know, in verse 8, it says, But what does it say? The word is near you in your mouth and in your heart. That is the word of faith that we proclaim. What is proclaimed is what is known and can therefore be believed and confessed by the individual, by the person, by the people. And this word of faith can be translated the message that calls for faith. It it demands a response. And no response is a response. It's a rejection. It's a denial in and of itself. To choose to not believe. To choose to not receive. That's a choice in and of itself. It is a response to that which we are demanded to respond to, the word of faith. It calls for faith, the message which says that you should trust God. 
Paul is emphasizing how faith comes to the individual. They can only express a faith in something they have heard. You cannot express a faith in something that you have not heard. That's why it's impossible for someone who does not know the gospel to say, yes, I am, I am saved, I, I know God. Well, how do you know God if you don't even know what it is that God did for you in order for you to be saved? And you're still saying that you're, not un, you're unsure about heaven, you're unsure of whether you'll be there or not, perhaps, and, but you think that by your good works that you know, you're definitely not a murderer. You're not, you know, a habitual thief. Maybe you steal every now and then from your employer or whatever. But overall, hey, I'm a good person. That person cannot say that with confidence, can they? They can only express a faith in something they have heard. I could not do that before I the gospel was presented to me. I thought I could. I really did. In my ignorance, I, I thought that I could answer that. In my pride, in, in my foolish pride, I, I thought I could answer that. But then when, when I came to understand, when I came to know and understand the gospel, that word of faith, I, I, had, to, I had to respond to it. These questions can also be statements. They cannot call on him in whom they have not believed. They cannot believe in him of whom they have never heard of. They cannot hear without someone preaching. And no one will preach unless they are sent. But how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. Perhaps in, in other languages it could be said differently. But it's the very part of our anatomy that brought the person to the other one that are absolutely beautiful. Why? Because the, the, the feet are the ones that, that brought you to me in order for you to communicate, to tell me the good news of Jesus Christ, the message of Christ. Who sends these preachers? God. And God uses the local church to do that very work. And how do we do that? by equipping them for the work of the ministry, as it says in Ephesians 4, 11 through 16. Teaching the word and, and how to be disciples of Jesus Christ, serving him and knowing how to respond to, to anyone who asks for the hope that lies within us, according to 1 Peter three fifteen. And so how beautiful it is to God when someone simply presents themselves and tells others that God offers salvation by grace through faith in Jesus Christ, and not by works, not by any other means whatsoever. In John chapter 14, verse 6, Jesus said, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. And the Apostle Paul in Ephesians 2, 8, 9 said, For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. But even though they had heard, and this is what the Apostle Paul was saying, they had all heard. 
even though they had heard. They not all obeyed and they didn't all believe the gospel. Nonetheless, faith comes from hearing and hearing through the word of Christ, which means hearing the message of the works of Christ, his sacrifice on your behalf, and his resurrection from the grave. So for us, we should be compelled. Go tell it to everyone who's willing to listen. Believe it in your heart and then go tell. Go speak of salvation known only through Jesus Christ. Salvation is for all. Faith comes through hearing. And lastly, the message had been heard. Verse 18 says, But I ask, have they not heard? Indeed they have, for their voice has gone out to all the earth and their words to the ends of the world. But I ask, did Israel not understand? First Moses says, I will make you jealous of those who are not a nation. With a foolish nation, I will make you angry. Then Isaiah is so bold as to say, I have been found by those who did not seek me. I have shown myself to those who did not ask for me. But of Israel, he says, all day long, I have held out my hands to a disobedient and contrary people. The question that the Apostle Paul was asking, even though he was overwhelmed with anguish in his own heart, sorrow for his people, the question that he was answering himself by Scripture that he knew was, yes, they had heard the gospel. Yes, Paul quotes Psalm 19.4, which serves as an indictment against Israel. They're accountable for what they have heard and what they have rejected. The gospel had gone out throughout Israel and throughout the Roman Empire. There was really no place that it had not reached. There was no one really that had not heard. The people were without excuse and Israel was without excuse. But even then we see God's patience and long-suffering. His love for Israel pursued them. God, through his offering of salvation to all nations, Jews and Gentiles alike, said there's no distinction regarding the manner of salvation. Through this, God is making the Jews jealous. Can you imagine that? You know, we can relate, it, relate to it somewhat in this way. A married couple. You know, men, those of you who are married, should be jealous for your wives. Uh, sisters who are married, you should be jealous for your husband. They should be showing that affection toward you, giving you that place that only belongs to you, not another man, not another woman, not anyone else. It belongs solely to each other. When another man is being given attention that should be given to you, you should be jealous. Not with hatred and anger, but perhaps at some point it, it's just in defense. But it should be to a point to where you desire that affection for yourself. That's the way it's supposed to be. You know, <clears throat> we go back to the whole picture of Jesus Christ and the church, the bridegroom and the bride. There's a jealousy that the bridegroom has for the bride. I'm super glad of that. Because, because of that, the gates of hell shall not prevail against the church. 
He guards and keeps. And even with this, God is saying, I pursued you to make you jealous so that you could see that even those who I, I, I had not chosen as far as being my own people, Gentiles, Greeks, salvation has come to them. Doesn't that make you jealous? He quoted Deuteronomy 32.21. He also quoted Isaiah 65.1. Just incredible that all of this was foretold of. And it was happening in Paul's day as it is today. And Paul, because of that, he just didn't lose heart. He had confidence in the word. He had confidence in God. Paul had great sorrow and unceasing anguish in his heart for his fellow Jews, but he also knew, understood, and believed God's word. This was foretold and it was happening. In John chapter 16, verse 33, it says, I have said these things to you that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation, but take heart, I have overcome the world. In 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 58, it says, Therefore, my beloved brothers, be steadfast and movable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord your labor is not in vain. In Ephesians chapter 6, verse 10, says, finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. When we come to know all of these things, we have a strength and we have an awareness that gives us perseverance in the Lord. We know that these things, according to God's word, are going to happen, and therefore we stand guard. We know how to fight against these things. This is no different than in Paul's day how it was that from the word of God he drew from, and he could stand on and say, this is what's happening. I'm not surprised. I'm not shocked. Please don't be shocked by what's happening in the world today. It's foretold of in Scripture. Do not lose heart. Jesus said, I have overcome the world. You will experience tribulation in this world. And Paul continued, he persevered. He continued even though many did not believe in the gospel of Jesus Christ. When we have knowledge, we can be prepared and persevere in the Lord in the manner that God desires for us to persevere and continue. Has the message been heard? Yes. Will all believe? No. Will you still believe? Will you still live for the Lord? And will you keep preaching the good news regardless of all the chaos around you? Who believes, who doesn't believe? Salvation is for all. Faith comes through hearing. The message has been heard. With outstretched hands, God offers peace. It's his righteousness that he offers, his peace, his finished work through the cross. Again, the question is, do you believe? Because in 1 Corinthians 1.18, it says, For the word of the cross is folly to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your grace. We thank you, Lord, that it is not by any works, no effort of ours that we can merit or reach, attain salvation, a right standing before you. 
even as we observed, as we partook of communion, Lord, we, we declared Christ's death until he comes again. Lord, even that was a confession of our belief. A belief that we are saved by grace through faith. Lord, as the shed blood of Jesus Christ atones for our sins in full. It is a full payment. Our salvation is secure in Christ. Lord, many have heard today. Time is short. My heart is filled with sorrow and anguish for those who continue to resist, to reject, and turn away from the offer of peace that you have offered to all. I pray if there's anyone here who needs to confess their sins, Lord, that that person would do so right now. That it would be a response to your kindness, your grace, your love, your compassion, your patience. That this moment would be a moment of, of simply confessing and repenting. And, and Lord, giving them a new heart and a new perspective, a new desire. Lord, that can only come by being a new creature in Christ. And pray, Lord, that we would know for everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. And today would be the day of salvation. And I pray as a church, Lord, that we would be expressing our belief by the manner in which we conduct ourselves, by the manner in which we live our lives, uh, the way we serve you, the way we bless you, the way we speak and think and act, Lord. Because you tell us in your word, if you love me, you will obey my commandments. It's not a manner of salvation, but it's a manner of expressing our love for you, for having been saved by grace through faith in Christ. So Lord, we are truly thankful. May we sing this song with great joy in our hearts to our God, our almighty God, our Lord, Jesus Christ.